We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Moose and Roots Podcast. This is episode 195 of the pod. Come to think of it, episode 200 just around the corner. Send us it your is. mailbag questions. As always, I am joined by Matt Rooney, my colleague, my brother-in-arms, the Batman to my Robin, the Robin to my Batman, however you want to look at it. Matt, how the hell are you? For a second, when you said Batman, I thought you said Fat Man, and I was going to say that's pretty mean, but also, like, you know, I've been made fun of that before. Don't project. I'm just saying, I was just saying that's what I thought you said. I'm glad you didn't. (laughs) Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, Off the heels of that conversation with Mark that we're going to get to, really excited for everybody to listen to that, because that was just absolutely fantastic. You brought up the mailbag um, segment. I want to shout out Rob Gallick, who sent me about... 15 10 to 15 yesterday that. that was fantastic that. just sent me a text message like hey i'm gonna send you some mailbags don't feel free you feel free to not react to every one of them i'm just i'm just sitting on the couch here i'm gonna start firing so we got a bunch from him uh but we can always use more people so let's get those going be rob gallic do your best rob yes. gallic impression next time text you're them, sitting on the couch instead of watching DM tv them. just text us Text Send us your mailbag questions. All the burning questions that keep you up at night, we will answer them right here on episode 200 of the Moose and Roots podcast. But we got business to tend to here, episode 195. Anytime we have a guest like Mark Shinowski, reoccurring guest here on the Moose and Roots podcast, we get out of the way and we let the man do his work. So without further ado, Mark Shinowski talking bulls on the Moose and Roots podcast. We now have the distinct privilege of welcoming on Moose and Runes regular Mark Shanowski, writer, speaker, presenter of all things Chicago Bulls. You can find him as an insider with Stadium right now, also TV analyst for the Windy City Bulls, co-host of the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast with Stacey King, another podcast called Shout Shooters with David Schuster. There is not a thing that this man does not do around the Chicago Bulls, and he still makes time for the little people here on the Moose and Moons podcast. Mark Shinowski, thank you as always for joining us. Oh, it's always fun being out with you guys, and I, I've been uh, bleary-eyed watching so much basketball, both pro and college, over the last few months, but it's been fun. You know, obviously, we're slowly coming out of this pandemic world, and it's nice to see some fans in the arenas now, albeit, you know, in limited portions, but, you know, we're seeing some signs of a return to normalcy, and and I can't wait uh, for the start of the NCAA tournament. I know they're going to have like 20% uh, stadiums there and and Mm -hmm. with the college kids in there. That should be a pretty exciting environment. I think that's going to be one of the first times, you know, the Super Bowl was cool. There were some fans there, and and, and you could feel that presence. But, you know, in any where we've seen the fans coming back, and it's been nice, too, just even hearing some of the hardcore athletes, you know, some of the grizzled vets are saying how much they miss the fans. So the whole thing – uh, is encouraging, and and I, and I can't wait as we get into the NCAA tournament and then later on the NBA playoffs. And what a perfect full circle it will be if we do get some fans in the stands there at the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, uh, we're, we're robbed of the tournament, for lack of a better term, and just some of those scenes that really shake you looking back on it, whether it was NBA or college hoop, just watching the world kind of come to a halt was all around this time last year. But yeah. um, we're, we're, we're thinking positive, we're moving positive, and we're trying to push everything that direction, as are the Chicago Bulls right now, Mark. 
um, just in most recent memory here, a big win uh, in terms of uh, margin of victory, maybe not over the best team in the NBA, but a dominant win and a dominant third quarter a night ago against the Houston Rockets. I think just generally rolling the ball out to you here, Mark, they've been so entertaining. And I know the record might not even reflect how good that they've played as of late. A couple late game scenarios that have not gone the way of the Bulls, but still you wake up as the eighth seed in the East and you got to be feeling good about yourself right now. Well, initially early in the season, I think were excited just by the fact that they could actually score some points. Last year, mm-hmm. their offense was almost prehistoric. They were so so much paralyzed by analytics under Jim Boylan, where he kind of went with the Houston Rockets system that no, no mid-range jump shots. It's either a three-point shot or a layup or a dunk. And they kind of got paralyzed by that. I mean, the players were moving around like robots. They were afraid to play naturally because they knew if they took a mid-range shot, they'd probably get yanked out of the game. And Billy Donovan came in and said, play to your strengths. He unlocked Thad Young's ability, which has been really pretty remarkable. I mean, Thad Young has been a, has been a good player. This is his 14th NBA season. He's been with a number of franchises. He knows one of those guys that's solid, can score in the low post, pretty good defender. But this year, you know, it's been crazy watching him operate in the mid post and making the no-look passes to guys cutting to the hoop. It's been really a, a, a very attractive style of basketball to watch, and I think that was the first thing that hooked the fans in. You know, you've got a coach in Billy Donovan who's been a winner everywhere he's been, both at Florida and with uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. And he's brought in a kind of a share-of-the-wealth offense that anybody can be featured. Obviously, Zach Levine is the star, but we're seeing good balance, especially on the nights that they win. Uh, it's been it's been really fun to watch, and I think that's why Bulls fans are excited about the future. You know, the team is pretty much the same as last year, but it's a new front office, a new coaching staff, and obviously the arrow's pointing up for this team. Yeah, that's you brought up Billy and, and Jim Boylan right off the top, and, and rightfully so. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you: is what, what's been the biggest difference this year? You mentioned not trying to shoehorn certain guys into roles in the offense, kind of letting guys play to their strengths. But defensively, they're they're um, been much more responsible. Still got some work to do, but they've been better too. Thad Young said last night after the game, you know, light years uh, from last year when he was asked about the temperature of the team. So is it? What is he bringing, you know, on the court, but also off the court in that locker room that's made this such a better environment to play in? Well, first of all, I think it's the offense, as I mentioned earlier. It is a share-the-wealth offense. You've got a lot of player and ball movement. Last year, a lot of times, players were just told to go stand in the corner and wait for the ball to come to you. They would run high screen and roll with a point guard in the center, and, and they'd have the wings just fanned out around the three-point line just waiting for a pass. And it just became very predictable and very easy to defend. Now with Billy in there, they're running a lot of weak side actions. They're getting guys on the move to catch the ball. And when you see the ball go into the post to either Wendell Carter or, or Thad Young, you'll see guys cutting weak side. And it's you know basically they're keeping the defense on their toes, making them realize that it's not just the guy with the ball that's a threat. All five guys on the court could potentially be involved in an action which would get them a shot. And I think that's been a lot more fun for the players to, to operate under. Jim Boylan was an old-school guy. You know, he almost ran his program like a, like a military program. You know, he was very hard on the young clock players. Out. Yeah, the clock-in, clock-out thing. And, and you know, he, he was very uh, dictatorial in his coaching style. You know, he would basically yell and scream at players rather than trying to, uh, you know, try to reinforce their strengths. And I think some of the young guys just didn't respond well to that. And even a guy like Thad Young, you know, we talked about the fact it's his 14th season in, in the league last year. He signed that contract in the summer of 2019, I believe it was like three years, $42 million. And when fans watched him last season play under Boylan, 
you know, they quickly came to the conclusion that he was done, that he was washed up because he, he looked so out of sync in, in that offensive system. Now, with what they're doing with playing to his strengths, he's been re-energized. And even though it's his 14th year in the league, he's only 32 years old, um, you know, he should have some piece of basketball left in him. And it's been his rebirth has kind of been symbolic of what's going on with the entire franchise. And you could say the same thing about a guy like uh, Wendell Carter, whose, whose confidence was pretty much destroyed under Boylan. And now, especially since he's come back from the uh, quad contusion, he's been much more offensive-minded. He's been looking for his shots, and he's looked like the guy the Bulls thought they got when they drafted him with the seventh pick in 2018. Yeah, and you make mention of that, and even his comments after the game a night ago saying they're just light years in terms of mentality and mindset, understanding of the game from where they were a year ago. And to hear guys talk about that and just have that positive air around the team, I think it is you know, getting them in a lot of games late in the fourth quarter that they just would not have been a year ago. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, with that fourth quarter in mind, Mark, uh, looking at the numbers, fourth quarter scoring Zach Levine, Seven point nine point seven point nine points per game in the fourth quarter, good enough for third in the NBA. A tenth of a point behind first place, uh, held by Kevin Durant. I, I, I've been wrestling with the idea of Zach Levine because he's been great, he's been fantastic to watch, he's been entertaining as he always is. But I did mention there those few last second opportunities that I'm sure he'd like to have back. He's had like four unsuccessful game-winning moments or game-tying moments near the end of ball games. Do you have are, – are we clouding our judgment just with what we're seeing through the first uh, three and a half quarters and maybe a little bit of failure that might come back to bite the Bulls here? He's obviously going to be the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. Have you seen any sort of cause for concern out of Zach Levine in the final moments of ball games? I, I did say we want to go positive here, but this is in my notes, and it's kind of, it's kind of bugged me since we've well, seen a couple of things. Start this with Zach, then we'll get to the positive. Sounds good. Well, when you, when you look at his track record at end-of-game situations, it has not been very good, especially this mm-hmm. season. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, for 45 minutes, it is an equal opportunity offense. But as we know, superstars win games in the NBA. So when you have a close game late, every team in the NBA, you know, the coaching strategy kind of goes out the window. They say to LeBron or Kevin Durant or James Harden, we're going to put the ball in your hands. You create a shot. Go get us a bucket. Man. Yeah, go get us a bucket. And when you look around the Bulls roster, uh, Zach Levine is really the only guy who can consistently create his own shot in the situation. The opposing coach knows that. So if you run screen and roll with Zach, which unfortunately happens too often in late-game situations, they just bring a guy up the screen and he brings a second defender in a situation. Well, both defenders are going to go with Zach, knowing yeah. he's unlikely to pass the ball in that situation. And what usually happens is, He'll dribble to the side and wind up having to take, you know, a very difficult uh, long-range two or a three-point shot with two defenders in his face, and your percentage on that kind of shot is not going to be very good. I I was encouraged by some of the things he's done lately where he's really made a conscious effort to get to the basket. Remember the home game against Washington recently? Mm -hmm. He got that straight-line drive, went straight to the basket, and unfortunately missed the left-handed layup, which would have tied the game and sent it to overtime. But I think he's starting to understand that – he has the ability and the athleticism to blow by that initial defender. So don't wait for the screen to come up. You know, in, in that instance, he was started by Bradley Beal. He just spun away from the initial defender, and the, the lane was wide open, so he went straight to the basket. And I think you're going to see more of that now, where in late-game situations, Billy goes away from the traditional screen and roll and just lets Zach operate because 
There are very few defenders who can just stay in front of him one-on-one because he's got such a quick first step, and he's got that great leaping ability that if you don't bring a second defender in there, it's going to be pretty hard to stop Zach. So I think they're going to you know, strategically do some different things in late-game situations. I think you'll also see you know, Kobe White has really emerged as, as very accurate as a catch-and-shoot kind of player. Maybe they get him off the ball where Zach can go to the basket, and if there's you know, uh, a second defender comes in, he can kick it out to Kobe, he can kick it out to Lowry Markin and when he returns and maybe you get a wide open look at a at an eighteen twenty footer instead of a, a contested step back three. All right, so I'm gonna go positive on Zach here. Um <laughs> sorry Joe, not to knock you there. No, um, no, no. Head, headed into this year, I think this podcast and then quite a few people in the city were, you know, you know, Zach's just a volume scorer. He puts up the big numbers, doesn't do much else. Can he really be a piece or he piece on a championship team, some you know, stuff like that. Um not only is he scoring a lot this year, but he's doing more. He's he's assisting more. His rebound totals are up. He's playing a little bit more defense. Talk about uh, for me, Zach. Like, how has he developed his all-around game from just being that volume score into now that piece, that bona fide all-star, that one of the best players in the Eastern Conference at least this year. Well, you know, over the uh, last several years, uh, Zach Levine had, had kind of come uh, the little boy who cries wolf saying that, mm-hmm. you know, all I care about is winning and, and I, you know, I don't care about individual honors and all that. But those words kind of rang hollow because his point totals kept increasing, but the Bulls' win totals weren't increasing along with him. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's been, it's been kind of uh, interesting to watch his transformation. And I think part of it is Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan, as I mentioned, has the track record of success everywhere he's been. And I think when Billy talked to him about, listen, you, you, everyone in the league knows you can score. Every coach in the league knows how dynamic you are as an offensive player. But until you can carry your team to the playoffs and prove that you can be a, a player who affects winning, no one's really going to take you seriously when it comes to all-star teams and all-NBA type of honors. And I think finally, you know, this is Zach's seventh-year in the NBA, which is pretty amazing, you know, considering I think he turns 26 uh, in yeah. March. Uh, you know, I think the light has finally come on. You know, it's some of his comments, and we've heard it before from Zach, but, you know, he talked about the fact that he just got tired of losing and blaming other people. That was the one element that was different from what he said before, because in the past I think it was always, well, you know, the team around me isn't that strong and maybe the coaching strategy isn't that good. He actually said, and blaming other people, which I think is, is a big step in his transformation. And I think he understands that as the best player on the team, he has to set the tone in terms of being responsible defensively by making sure that, that he's being unselfish in the offensive system. And now he's taking the onus upon himself that, hey, I can't say it's everybody else's fault. It's my fault that we're not winning. And, and I think that he understands that th- th- they've got a new front office in there. They've got an established coach in Billy Donovan. This this program has a chance to be successful now, and he has to make sure that he takes the responsibility on himself to be the leader in this group. You know, people always say, well, can Zach Levine be the, be the best player on a contending team? I don't know that he necessarily has to. I think the, the Bulls are going to continue, uh, you know, with Arturis Karnischewicz to find that, that second star to go with Zach, but he can be a, a pretty damn good uh, 1A on, on, a, on a very good team. And I think it's super important for, you know, the success of the team and the success of Zach that it's easy sometimes, I think, for guys on non-playoff teams, really talented all-star type calibers to have their eyes drifting a little bit elsewhere. Mm -hmm. What's on the horizon? Where can I go? Where can I be a champion or uh, add to a group that's contending? And I think we saw a little bit of that last year uh, with Zach just tiring of the situation in Chicago and just the fact that he's 
solely focused on the task at hand and the group that he's in the locker room with right now, I think has, um, has, has really borne some positive results for him as well. Uh, you mentioned AK and sort of his fingerprints starting to get all over this franchise. And I think uh, the biggest fingerprint there is uh, outside of the hiring of the head coach is the draft pick. And I want to do a little, a little Pat Williams progress report here because I think we can only uh, consider this a glowing success through the first 30-some games of his career thus far. Yeah, and you know, his, he's developed in recent games in terms of being a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end. We've seen him take that mid-range shot where he'll kind of dribble into it you know, with, a, with quick decision-making. Uh, his shot is still a work in progress. You know, He's kind of got that uh, young player, high-arcing shot from the three-point line, and it takes him a little while to get that shot loaded up and unleash, and I think that's something that he's going to have to develop uh, as he continues in his NBA career. But he was the youngest American-born player in the draft at 19 years old. Everyone knows the story. He didn't start a single game at Florida State. You know, Florida State had an excellent team last year. Uh, so he was coming off the bench, and I think coming in here, he was probably surprised, shocked almost, that Billy Donovan put him in the starting lineup, and he's kind of looking around, and I've got I've got Zach Levine and Kobe White, who are both high-volume scorers in the backcourt, and Lowry Markinen's going to take 15 shots on most nights. So, you know, I'm just going to play defense and, and try to rebound and contribute where I can. Now with Markinen out, I, I think he realizes that they need a little bit of offense from him, and, and I've I've been very encouraged. Uh, you know, one of the recent games, he had 12 points in the fourth quarter. He had a, a big rebound dunk. He had a strong drive for a basket and a foul. And, he, you know, he's got that perfect NBA body, 6'8", 225, and he looks like he's, you know, chiseled out of granite. And, uh, you know, I think as time goes by, this kid's only 19 years old. I think as he, be, he gets the green light to go a little bit more offensively, especially in his own head, feeling that I'm as good as anybody out here and I can score at this level, I think there's some big things ahead for Patrick Williams. You know, back on draft night, as we were uh, approaching the draft, we knew that he was climbing up draft boards. There's a lot of speculation the Bulls were interested. But you looked at his body of work at Florida State, and you're thinking, how could this guy be the fourth pick of draft? Well, right now, that looks like a, looks like a pretty solid pick. Pretty good. Somebody knew something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and we found out afterwards that uh, Detroit was trying to move up to three uh, – in a trade with Charlotte to take Patrick Williams because they were they had the intel that the Bulls were going to take him at four. So uh, the Bulls weren't the only team that saw this kid's potential, and hopefully uh, the first pick of the Arturis Karnischewicz uh, era turns out to be a home run. And talking about Patrick Williams, people don't forget we had Mark Chanowski on right before the draft, and he told you on this podcast it was a spoiler that the Bulls were going to select Patrick Williams. So Very that should show you, show you the value of a Mark to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm going I'm to stick with the progress report route because I, I think Patrick Williams is a glowing one. Um, Kobe White's another guy that we've been kind of looking to see how he's going to keep progressing. Obviously still young. I think he's 20 going on 21 this year. Um inconsistent, a little bit like last year. Sometimes you have the 25-point night. Sometimes you have the two-point night. Um, where are you on him as a player, but also where are you on him as a point guard in this league? Because I'm not sure you need to be – you need to think he's going to be a point guard to be a great player going forward. Yeah, and most nights uh, from the point guard perspective, you know, there are some things that you can see that he needs to work on. Um, you know, he gets the careless turnovers at times. He doesn't really see the whole court at times, and he doesn't really get them into the actions that Billy wants. And 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 Billy's been pretty pretty candid in saying that that he's a work in progress as an NBA point guard. And and, and as you've noticed late in games, 
the ball will generally be in Zach Levine's hands, and they're telling Kobe to go spot up and be ready to catch and shoot. Uh, I think they found that their their offense runs more smoothly when either Zach Levine or Tomas Sadaransky has the ball as the point guard, and Kobe is just playing off the ball. He he would have tremendous value as a Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, six-man type of player where you know he can get you 15 to 18 points a game just by uh, being in position to catch and shoot. But I think when you took a guy as high as they did, of course he was the seventh pick in 2019, and everyone touted the fact that he was you know jet fast and had the potential to be a De'Aaron Fox type point guard. You know, I think some fans are a little bit disappointed that he hasn't developed. But as you mentioned, he just turned 21 last week, and and his his uh, his basketball future is all in front of him. He only played the one season in North Carolina where he was more of a scorer than a point guard. Mm-hmm. So he's got Billy Donovan, he's got Maurice Cheeks, a Hall of Fame point guard on the Bulls coaching staff, and and they're going to help him develop. I don't think they've closed the door on the possibility that he could be a, a top 10 NBA starting point guard. But I think at the same point. You may see something happen this off season where if someone becomes available that they really like as a guy who can be a traditional lead point guard, well, you know, there, there could be a trade. I'm not saying that Kobe would be involved in it, but Kobe could have to shift uh, to a to a six-man role where he would have tremendous value, but, you know, it might be disappointing in terms of where he was drafted. Yeah, I think that, you know, Kobe and his development has been fun to watch as well. And I think just really the air of everything you're saying here and the air of everything we've seen here is it's really depth in scoring right now for the Bulls. We can sit here and sing the praises of Zach Levine and what he's done at the top of that box score night in and night out. But they have found some depth in scoring. And, and that's without a name that we've made mention of here a number of times here in Laurie Markin. And Mark, I want to take your temperature on Laurie right now because – uh, last uh, night I was watching the Rockets-Bulls game, and we actually had the Houston call up. Uh, that they just That's what they routed through. Uh, uh, you know, right. I, requ- I request my home call from time to time, but we had the Houston <laughs> call, and whoever was on the call was making mention of Lori and how this young, talented team of the Bulls is missing one of their most young and talented pieces in, in Lori marketing. Matt and I have talked over the last few weeks just about you know what this team – looks like without him and what they could look like with him. Are we still as bullish on Laurie right now? I mean, no pun intended, or are, are there some signs of concern for him? Well, you know, the, the old line that the number one ability is availability. He's there been hurt consistently throughout his career, and I think that with a new front office coming in who did not draft Lowry Markinen and knows what the salary demands are from him and his agent because they talk contract during the offseason trying to get an extension on his rookie deal, and the reports uh, from the beat writers has been that they were some $4 million a season apart, which is a pretty significant gap. Mm-hmm. You know, when when a general manager looks at the team and tries to project it out two, three, five years, they have to look at that cap sheet and, and what it's going to look like. And if they can't fit Lowry in at a figure that they're comfortable with, they may decide to make a move. You know, we've heard rumors about the possibility of a Lowry marketing for Lonzo Ball trade. I think that may pick up steam as we get closer to the March 25th trade deadline because when you look at the situation, New Orleans has a new coach in Stan Van Gundy who may not have said it directly, but has let it be known that he's not 100% convinced uh, that the offense is going to function at its peak with Lonzo Ball as the point guard. And the Bulls are in a situation where they may not be willing to commit 20 to $25 million annually for, for Lowry Markkinen, who's consistently on the injured list. So, you know, both those guys are going to be restricted free agents this coming summer. Both are going to be looking for contracts that probably start, 
you know, in the 20 million a season range, which is awfully high for what they've accomplished in their first four NBA seasons. We could see an exchange of, of your disappointment for my disappointment. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if something like that happens. I don't know exactly what Arturis thinks about Lonzo Ball as, as a long-term answer at the point guard position, but I, I'm not convinced that they're just going to say to, to Lowry and his agent, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to give you what you want and you're going to be the co-star with Zach Levine for the next, you know, five to 10 years. I, I think that Lowry's going to have to come back from the sliced injury, the shoulder injury and, and play it at a pretty high level to, to convince AK and, and Mark Eversley that he deserves to be part of the program going forward. You know, the, the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is is the cap situation and the bulls are are set up to have significant cap space this summer but if you try to extend zach and you give lowry an extension that that cap space disappears so Mm -hmm. if you're going to go that route you'd have to be convinced that the roster as is with just more development and maturity can become can become a contender in the eastern conference otherwise you're going to have to consider some significant changes in the offseason. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if we see some pretty significant trades this summer, uh, even if the Bulls would happen to, to eke into that seventh or eighth playoff position. I think that, you know, uh, AK's job is to look at the long term, and, and Lowry is right at the top of the list of tough decisions. Uh, hmm. Do you commit to him long term? Do you move him along in a trade uh, before the March 25th deadline? Or uh, do you try to find middle ground where you can get to a maybe a short-term contract that both sides can live with? So you're, you're talking about those tough decisions and what you want to do long-term, and you mentioned the trade deadline coming up in a month. I'm going to put you on the spot. Mark Schanowski is the general manager of the Bulls. You got you know Thad Young, who's great for the development, but the way he's playing can get you a nice pick. You got Lowry Markkinen. What moves are you as general manager of the Chicago Bulls trying to get done before that March 25th trade deadline? Well, if you're talking from my perspective, I think you have to keep looking at the long term for this team. As I mentioned, because of the fact that a couple of teams have gotten up to slow starts in the Eastern Conference, those teams specifically being Toronto and Miami, I think both Toronto and Miami, by the time this is over, they're going to be solidly in that playoff picture. Miami Mm -hmm. was really hurt by the COVID-19 protocols, and I think they're starting to get their guys back. Right now, Miami is out of a playoff position, but when we get to the end of the season, Miami's going to be in the playoffs. Toronto's already moved its way up to, I believe, sixth. They're fifth right now, yeah. Fifth, yeah. So they're, they're going to be solidly in the playoff position. So, you know, you've got seven teams that are going to make the playoffs in the East. The one spot that's open is the one that Orlando had last season. They've had all kinds of injuries and, and issues. They won't make it. So you're going to have you know, the Bulls. You're going to have Atlanta. You're going to have Charlotte. Washington has suddenly won five games in a row. They beat the Lakers last night in overtime. So, you know, there's going to be teams competing for those uh, for the eighth spot. You know, in the in the nine, ten, which are those play-in spots. Uh, you know, which basically you lose one game and your season's over. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to try to hang on to all your assets just to have a possibility. I think that if they get offered a first-round draft pick for Thad Young, I think that they should take it. You know, he's played fantastic. He's really had a rebirth, as I mentioned. He's playing better than he has in a number of years. But, you know, if you have a team like Boston that's 500 right now and is really looking to get some depth, uh, you know, behind their, their stars in the front court, they might offer you their first-round pick uh, for Thad Young, which could be a pick in the 20 to 25 range. That doesn't sound great, but let's say the Bulls just missed the playoffs. They get the 12th to 14th pick in the lottery. You combine a 12 pick and, and a 23 pick, 
and maybe you can move into the top ten in what is considered a, to- a good draft. I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of proactive approach that that our tourists has got to take. You know, you may see a team looking to, to add a player, a versatile player like Tomas Aransky, who, who, who I think has, has real value for a contending team because he can play multiple positions. He's very smart, and you know, he, he can shoot the ball from the three point line. So we could see some some changes around around the fringes on. on March 25th. My gut is I don't think that they'll make the Lonzo uh, marketing trade. I think they'll want to get a, a more uh, more of an evaluation on Lowry. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, one or more of the veterans uh, is traded if a, a first-round pick is offered in return. They're not going to trade uh, Thad for a second-rounder. They're mm-hmm. not going to trade Sato for a second-rounder. But if, if some team, one of those contenders, let's say, has an injury or just decides they have to get more depth at, at those spots, you might see a team uh, make it make a decent offer for one of those guys, and I think that looking at the long term picture, I think that's something the Bulls would have to consider. Yeah, and that long term approach is, you know, that's got to be a one on AK's list. But in terms of what these players are dealing with and talking about inside the locker room, you know, Zach Levine's got to just want to be in the playoffs for the first time in forever. First time in a long time. Yeah, he hasn't um, been at all. Forever, yeah. yeah, he hasn't. I was going to say Minnesota didn't do anything in his tenure there, so I, that's more likely the short-term goal that he's focused on, and that's what I want to talk about is these next two and a half, three weeks. Just how important is it for the Bulls? And yeah, it's going to be a log jam. They're currently in the eight seed, and they're a game and a half out of the four spot right now. So, how important are these next? two and a half, three weeks, getting into the All-Star break and then coming out of it with that same momentum. You know, sometimes we can see seasons come apart at the seams right around this point in the season. Yeah, and and they've got some winnable games coming up before the break, and then everybody will take off from uh, March 5th to March 10th, and then they'll start up again. Yeah, I think it's important to see what they do. You know, if if, uh, they would happen to lose a bunch of games in the next three weeks, that would probably push – the front office in one direction, but I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. You know, I think that we've already, they've played 30 games now, 14 and 16 record, which is pretty good. All things considered. Uh, I think that the front office has a pretty good handle already on which players they want to keep going forward and which ones they would be considered to move along in trades. I think they'd like to get a little more evaluation on Lowry marketing, as I mentioned, but um, you know, they, they know exactly what they have in some of these young guys. And and I think they can project going out for a year or two as to who their targets might be in trades and free agency. You know, this is their this is their profession. This is their job. They're thinking uh, and planning 24 uh, seven. I I don't think there's a whole lot of unanswered questions. I think Wendell may be changing their mind a little bit with uh, with how he's looked coming out of the injury. Um, you know, that's a guy that's hard to project because. You know, they, they list him at 6'10", but he's probably more like, you know, 6'8.5", 6'9", playing center in, in, in the NBA. And I think he's still trying to find his way as to who he can be as an offensive player. I think his his grade is probably a little bit incomplete. And I think when AK and Mersley have their meetings, they're probably saying, do we want to keep Wendell? Can he play center at, at being undersized? Can he play that sad young role where he can pass out of the mid post and, and do all the things that – Young has shown he can do in this offense. That's kind of an unanswered question. And then, of course, uh, you know, the Lowry constantly being in and out of the lineup. Um, I'm not saying these are easy decisions, but that's what these guys paid for. And, and I think that if we don't see major changes on March 25th, I think we will see several players, uh, you know, being being moved 
although Stevel's probably a little bit overstating it. We might see one or two guys that mm-hmm. were uh, in the perceived core uh, being moved this summer. Uh, there is nobody more well-versed on the Chicago Bulls and all things NBA than Mark Schanowski, who joins us here on the Moose and Runes podcast. Mark, before we let you go, I, I want to go bigger picture here, zoom out a little bit. Um, give us your power rankings. Who's impressed you the most? Maybe top three teams in the league right now. There's there's the usual cast of characters, but obviously we've seen some magic out of Utah lately, mm-hmm. Brooklyn with any um, any Phoenix sort of good. version of that trio has been nice. Phoenix probably can make a case for a top 10 team right now with the run that they're on. Who's impressed you most this year, uh, surprises and otherwise? Well, you mentioned Utah, and that has been the biggest surprise. They have the best record in the NBA. You know, you look at that roster, and it doesn't really blow you away. But when you consider, you know, we started the show talking about, you know, coming out of the uh, the, the year of COVID, and the flashpoint was, was Rudy Gobert. Yeah testing positive. Could and, these and, guys even get along, let alone yeah, win and, and, and 20 of 22 was, games? Right. The assumption was that either Rudy or Donovan Mitchell had to be traded because there was no way they could coexist after you know, Donovan came down with the virus. And you remember back then, you know, a lot of people were afraid if you got the virus, you were, you were potentially, uh, it was a life-threatening thing. And mm-hmm. we've seen the deaths around our country and around the world, and it has been a life-threatening virus in so many instances. So, you know, when we initially heard the news that there was this fallout between Donovan and Rudy Gobert, we're thinking either one of those guys gets traded or they're not going to talk to each other and that team is going to, you know, implode. Well, they've actually gone the other way. You know, Rudy Gobert got the got the max extension. He's playing the best basketball of his career. You know, he's posted several 20.20 rebound games. He's become much more of a threat on the offensive end. You know, you got they re-signed Boyan Bogdanovich, who's a sniper from three-point range. Uh, Mike Conley is playing much better in his second year with the Jazz than he did in his first. A lot of people are talking about him as the potential Western Conference All-Star. And Jordan Clarkson has emerged as the sixth man of the year candidate. He recently had a 40-point game coming off the bench. So, you know, they're a team that that has been fun to watch, but I fear that they're much like the Bucs have been the last couple of years where they're going to rack up a lot of regular season wins. And when you get to the playoffs, they're just not going to have that star power to carry them through in late-game situations. I think that right now, with the with the Lakers adding Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell, um, when it, when everybody's healthy on that team, and right now Anthony Davis and Schroeder are, are out of the lineup, I don't think anybody beats the Lakers. I, I think yeah. they're far they're far and away stronger than any team in the league. I, I've been interested to see what what Brooklyn's done. You know, I, I've I've kind of been in the camp that you know James Harden is not a winning player, but. I'll tell you what, he he took on the point guard role. He's averaging mm-hmm. double-figure assists. He's coming to the Nets. And then with James Harden, the, the facilitator, has yeah. been a breath of fresh air, I think. Yeah, and how about Kyrie Irving telling him, well, I'm the shooting guard, you're the point guard, you know, <laughs> basically saying, I want to take more shots than you. And, and James said, fine. You know, I'll Sounds take that right role. for Kyrie. You know, because people forget James led the league in assists a couple of years ago at Houston. Yeah. So, you know, he, he can do that. He, he has amazing handles, as does Kyrie. Uh, but it's really a question of who's going to uh, reduce their shot attempts and be willing to pass the ball, and that, that's been James Harden. And with KD out, you know, they swept that five-game Western trip they had, and James mm-hmm. kind of went back to his Houston role where he scored a bunch of points, you know, taking a lot of shots in late-game situations. I think Brooklyn is probably the biggest threat to the Lakers. I don't like the Clippers that much. I, I just don't think the Paul George-Kawhi thing has worked all that well. And and I, I just don't think the supporting cast around him is as strong. I think losing Harrell was just a horrible move. 
I mean, they let him go. They brought in an aging Serge Ibaka who's not as good as Harrell at this point of his career. And I just don't think uh, the Clippers have the depth to beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. It'll be interesting to see what all the contenders do at the trade deadline. But I think, you know, in terms of, of power rankings, it's the Lakers ahead and shoulders above everybody else. I think Brooklyn is two. And then I think you've got, like, uh, Utah and the Clippers. And then you look in the East, you know, I don't really – like any of those other teams in the East, you know, I think yeah, Milwaukee, maybe if, Milwaukee, I was if Philly can Philly, if Philly can convince the NBA to let them play every game at home, they might have a shot. But <laughs> they're they're just still Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde home road. So I, I, big time concerns there if they can't figure things out away from uh, away from their home barn. Yeah, and I think Philly will probably try to make a move at the deadline to bring in a little bit of front court depth. They'd love to have a guy like Thad Young to bring off their bench, and, and I think they'd like one more shooter as well. Yeah, I think Philly would be in that second tier with uh, you know you know with with the Clippers, Brooklyn, and Utah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it is always a pleasure breaking it all down with Mark Shinowski as we head into some meaningful basketball, both college and NBA, coming down the pipe. Mark, you know we say it every time, but we cannot thank you enough for, for making the time for us here on the Moose and Moons podcast. You are always welcome, and you always illuminate some things uh, that our listeners are uh, privileged to have that sort of knowledge out in front of them. So we thank you a million times over. Well, I always enjoy talking hoops with both of you guys. Continued success with the show, and, and I'm available anytime. Beautiful. And, again, you can find Mark all over the place, his pair of podcasts, you can also find him at Stadium doing some Bulls insider work there as well. He is Mark Sinowski here on the Moose and Roots Podcast. Give me the hot sauce! Give me the hot sauce, Bob! So there he is, Mark Janowski, kind of taking us uh, from the front of the bench to the end of it and into the front office. Uh, nobody knows the Bulls better than that man right there. Uh, he's been doing it for a quarter century. Uh, Forever. Date anybody, but the, the work is fresh and the work is good. Again, catch him on all his podcasts. Him and Stacey King are having a lot of fun bringing on some old Bulls guests from the years of old. Um, so uh, definitely some entertainment to be had there. Mm-hmm. But Matt... Um, exciting times to be a Bulls fan right now. I think just just in terms, in relative terms, to where we've been, where we are, and where they could potentially be. Um, I think you hear a little bit more positivity coming out of Mark than we have in years past too. Which anytime we're trying to kind of set our sights on a on a realistic goal, I set my sights wherever Mark Janowski does. Yeah, so you said the leading into the podcast that you know when we have Mark on, we just kind of get out of the way and let him go. Some guests you kind of have more conversations with. Some guests you just kind of give them a quick question, let them go because they know so much. Mark is just like, hey, I got a question on Kobe White. Please answer it. And he'll talk for, you know, 10 minutes about it. You love to hear All it. you got to do is hit him in that shooter's pocket. He's going to knock down the three. You but don't have to worry about your assist at all. You're right. That I mean, We've had Mark on a, a bunch of times on this podcast, and I don't think I've really ever heard him more positive about not only where the franchise is at, but where they're kind of going in the future. And honestly, he had me intrigued by don't you know don't be surprised, especially if there's not many moves made in the off season, or I'm sorry, at the trade deadline. That in the off season, we might see some some bigger names, some pieces that were thought to have been core pieces moved. And I, he didn't say it, but it, it's implied. You know, Zach Levine's kind of the untouchable, and after that, just about everybody's available. And with where their front office is at, how good of a spot they are with Eversley and AK, you know, it's, it's intriguing. It's exciting. I kind of want to get to that point. 
Again, a big thanks to the big ski for coming on the Moose and Roots podcast. This Check episode one ninety five of the pod. Check out the Give Me the Hot Sauce pod. Like what else? What else what do else you need, need when you're listening? It is Mark Chinowski and Stacy King. If you want to talk about the Bulls, there are no two better to talk about. It them. is the most um, knowledgeable Bulls Bulls voice in the city, and the most entertaining and electric Bulls in, voice in the city. You put them together on a podcast. It's it's pure heat. Uh, we do have one other topic to tend to here, uh, Matt, as we are a golf, golf podcast here on the Moose and Moons podcast. Uh, Genesis Invitational uh, wraps up in dramatic fashion. Matthew Wolf stuffs an uh, iron shot there, a, a long wedge shot into about three feet, lips it out. They go to a playoff. He's stymied against a tree. Tony's got a chance to win it. Finau can't convert. They get to the next playoff, all the par three. Wolf makes par. Finau's got a putt to extend. Or excuse me, yeah. did I say Wolf? You said Wolf both times. I was going to let the first one go, but then he said it again, so I felt like Max Homa, thank you. No disrespect to the L.A. board, the Angelino, uh, who got it done, Max Homa. But uh, Tony Finau with multiple putts to win or extend the tournament. So, uh, again, no disrespect here to Max Homa, but I want to ask you a Tony Finau question, Matt. Buy or sell, we have seen Tony Finau's last victory on the PGA Tour. Will he ever win again? it's like – he seems almost cursed at this point. Like he's having these chances. You know, you, you first were seeing it in majors. Now you're seeing it in these now uh, smaller tournaments. But I, I, I think he's going to win at some point because he is. It's hard. He, yeah, he's around. It's hard to call it. It's hard to call a guy cursed five. who brings a, a million dollar check home and brings six figures home okay, every single you know weekend. He from, tees the, it up. from getting the win. But I'm agreeing with you. But I'm 100 yeah. percent agreeing with you. He over the last three years has the third most top tens of anybody on tour behind only Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson, mm-hmm. and I believe he has the most top fives. No wins. His only win all the way back, I believe, the 2016, 2018 Puerto Rico Open hasn't won since. But he's on every leaderboard you look at. It's just it's tough sledding for Tone, who just can't seem to get over that hump. At some point, you have to think he's going to break through. He's he's incredibly so. talented, and it doesn't seem like. He's not having these epic collapses. It's not like he's having these Phil like collapses. Shot where he's, on he's, he's not like shoving, you know, a drive on eighteen into the woods or anything. He's you know he's lipping out from ten feet. At, at some point, he's got to break through. At, yeah, at some and if point, he, if you he, think he's going to, if he continues to put himself in the position to do so, you got to think. Even one week, the field just by default gives him one. Just yeah. come, everybody kind of gets out of the way. He doesn't necessarily have to win one. He's just got to golf his ball. And I, I believe that was his best Sunday score uh, of his career while in contention or something. He was five. He was five under coming into the round and goes into a playoff at twelve under mm-hmm. uh, with Max Homa. So a, a seven under, uh, I believe sixty four on Sunday. I, I don't know what else you can do other than make the putt at this yeah, point. Yeah, and it's not like he's old. You're getting older up there either. He's thirty one years old. He's still in the heart of the prime of his career. Somebody in, in golf years, that's just about the beginning of the prime of your career. So. At some point, yeah, you got to buy it. He's going to win something, Joe. And he's a big Joe Musso fan, so I'm a big Tony Finau fan. You know, Sick, right. we, we just got we just got to leave it at that. Get him on, get him uh, on the pod then. And that, it's not We're that golf pod. <laughs> <laughs> We're golf pod. That's going to do it for episode 195 <laughs> of the Moose and Nerds podcast. Again, Wait a minute, there's one more Mark one Shinowski. more golf news that's kind of well, sad that made me. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Tiger. I want to talk about it, but Tiger. I, we got to. We, I know we don't want to. It's tough stuff, but that's why we're such a, a good, great, great podcast. I'll even say that's it. we hit we, the, we, we hit the tackle the hard topics. topics. He didn't um, say Tiger. No. He didn't say no. Tiger has a. I, I don't care what he said. It was how he looked. He looked like a guy who just had back surgery. Yeah, he's leaning over in his chair. He's puffy in his face. Um, it, it looked like, and it looked like you know Jim Nance was he, he was navigating the 
the conversation as a great does, but it struck me as if Jim Nance was told five minutes prior, hey, we have Tiger. That they've mm-hmm. been asking for Tiger all week. He's the host. He's yeah. the host of the Genesis Invitational. We did not see him a moment prior to that. So his team probably was saying, no Tiger this week, no Tiger this week, no Tiger this week. CBS is pushing, give us five minutes, give us five minutes, give us five minutes. And then five minutes before Tiger finally says, all right, let's do it. He's barely ready. Mm-hmm. Jim's barely ready. And we kind of get this picture of Tiger that does not appear to be a man who's going to be ready in no. 43 days for the Masters. Uh, you, you said it very well. It seemed like it was kind of just like, like you said, a last minute thing. They just finally got him to do it. But I don't know. Hopefully he's ready. Hopefully he can get there. But it was not the most uh, optimistic of interviews or outlooks there. But it's he's not it's not not done yet. It's, it's, it's not no hope yet. So let's just let's keep some fingers crossed. Let's try and move on. Prayer, so let's let's prayers, try and prayers up to Tiger's back. Prayers up to the big cat and, and all the lumbars involved. All of the uh, I'd offer him my sevens back, my back and such better. Yeah, I it's think we're I think we're I think we're gonna let him figure things out with that fused yeah. spine before we give him your back. Man. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I probably need the fused spine too, so he probably doesn't even want mine. All right, and now that is going to do it for the Moose and Roots podcast, yeah, episode one ninety five. A big thank you again to Mark Chernowski. A big thank you to my co-host here, Matt Rooney. As always, send us those mailbag questions. Hit us up on Twitter. Text us. DM us. However you want to reach out. We want to have a big episode two hundred mailbag extravaganza. Until episode one ninety six for Matt. I'm Joe. Talk to you guys soon. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>